Jen, I'm going to make a statement that I've not fact-checked. Okay, great. (laughs) That's a real strong way to start this. I believe at this past year's festival, we had represented the two longest running television shows ever. And if not the top two, at least two of the top, very small handful. Uh huh. With The Simpsons uh-huh. going into season 35 uh-huh. and Austin City Limits, a oh, TV yeah. show. Yeah. I feel like that's right. Right. And it is hitting 50, yeah. I believe, this yes. year. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. We and can also graze, which has been on for oh ever. <laughs> okay, it's not fifty seasons, but it has but it been is one for, of the longest running. Yeah, at least currently still airing. Yeah, longest running shows. But I think that's pretty amazing for people to be able to keep reinventing a show enough that yeah, you can I mean, keep it going that long. I can't imagine like watching thirty five years of a show in succession much less making one like that's wild i mean how do you keep coming up with new episodes well they talk about that a little bit (laughs) it's it's not easy (laughs) it's not easy it's not easy and something like the simpsons which i'm just deeply deeply fascinated by yeah because i mean as everyone knows i feel like whether or not you watch the simpsons you vaguely know this information that the characters don't age they're the same age as when the show started. Yeah. And to have 35 years, 35 seasons worth of episodes for characters that literally there's like no growth, no arc, no change in life status. That's deeply impressive. Yeah. I mean, it's like one of the most uniquely situated shows ever made. I mean, the... One, being animated, and two, like, being able to satirize in so many different ways, like, I think gives it the ability to evolve with the times around it because you can take the essence of the characters and put them in situations that are relevant to whatever we're going through now and still make it funny without having to, like, worry about derailing something in the same way that you would with like a scripted show or something like that. But yeah. Do you know, do you I remember mean, how... Live action, not scripted. It is scripted. It is scripted. There is a script. There is a script. There is definitely a there script. Is. Yes. <laughs> Many revisions of a script. Yes. Many iterations of a script. Um, do you remember in planning for this year's festival how this conversation came to be? Yes. So this actually... So Matt has come before. We did a Simpsons conversation in 2015 the same year that we gave James L. Brooks our Achievement and Television Excellence Award. But Matt and his wife, Renee, were coming for a conversation that we were doing with Hollywood Health and Society around women's health and breast cancer on TV. Kate and I love to use people for, mul- like, if, if you're here, like, we would love for you to participate in multiple things because a lot of these showrunners and writers and everybody um, have so much to talk about and it's hard to get it all in, you know, one conversation. And Matt obviously has so much unique experience that 
it felt like it would be silly not to ask him what he wanted to talk about and see if there was, you know, I mean, to be able to do a micro conversation with the showrunner of The Simpsons is like pretty cool. Yeah, uh, it's a pretty cool experience for those like 40 people in that room. So, so yeah, we just pitched him like, hey, would you want to do this version of a conversation? Um, you know, he hasn't been here since we started doing these micro conversations. Um, and he was very open to it and excited about it. And then Trevor came on as moderator, who's like a huge, huge Simpsons fan. Um, and really, like, we could not have found a better moderator for this. Um, and he was so excited. So, yeah, it was just, it just kind of happened out of that. Like, they were coming. They wanted to participate in things. Matt was down to do, you know, um, other conversations. And so this happened. In him talking about all the different episodes and how they, he said there's maybe in jest, maybe in seriousness, that basically for every episode, there's 99 steps yeah, from start to finish um, and walk through a handful of those steps in the conversation. But in talking about how they break story and come up with story and assign writers, he gives an example of an episode they do basically about lockdown and how mm-hmm. they're like, okay, COVID has happened, is happening. Like, how do you Simpsonify that? How do we Simpsonify yeah. that? And the thing that I found the most fascinating about even just that concept is I feel like that's a lot of, uh, not steak, but that's a lot to just to be like, we're basically going to do one lockdown episode. Here's yeah. this thing that has taken place and taken over our world for two years, and the repercussions are forever, and we don't even know. And in a show where you're doing, I'm assuming they're still doing 22 episodes a season. I don't know how many exactly, but doing full seasons and 35 years worth of seasons. And you're like, we're going to do one lockdown episode. How do you yeah, put all that into one? Because I feel like you could do, honestly, a whole season of different versions of lockdown and the things that everyone went through and how they really were like, we're going to do, we're going to put it into this one. These are the different elements that we're going to take. It's not covid but we're going to take all the feelings that it gave us yeah, and put it in this episode, I think is fascinating and shows the importance that they put on every episode. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like the magic of writing. And like one little example is like just taking this massive event that has like affected a generation of people and like being like, how do we apply this to our characters and our story and like make an impact with it in 30 minutes, you know? And it's like, but still make it funny and fun and like part of this world that is both changing and not changing um but yeah i think it's a really fascinating example that he goes into and and now i kind of want to do a conversation about the 99 (laughs) (laughs) 99 steps to making a simpsons episode because i think that'd be fascinating i think it'd be so fascinating especially because half of those steps are writing half those steps are animation yeah and then how it all comes together yeah, the length that it takes to make one of these up, like, it's, yes, it's such a such a long process because of the animation um, that has to go into it, and they're also you know all the table reads and everything in between those steps. So yeah, I think it, I mean I always want to want us to talk more about animation. It's always finding the right way into it. Well, and I think this definitely feels in a way that I don't know that I really would have thought of before listening to this conversation, the, (laughs) I want to make sure I say this correctly, the amount of effort 
an intention they put into how are we also visually going to tell this story. Yeah. That it's, you hear so much, especially in TV, about the writing. And obviously things are shot beautifully in animation. It has its own artistic, you know, components, obviously. But that they're so big on, especially for The Simpsons, it's not just how do these characters react to these situations. It's there's something very specific about how we show things on The Simpsons and how are we going to keep evolving that and keep being creative and that that is a huge part of the writing process. It's not just the words on the page. It is what the ideas visually are for what this is going to look like. Yeah. I mean, you could do a whole conversation on just the way the animation style has changed from the time the show premiered to now and the technology behind it and the artists and all of that, which... Maybe we will do that. Yes. Look at us developing an idea. <laughs> In real time. In real time right here. <laughs> um, but he's also just, and I, I feel this way about all, if not almost all of our panels, he's just so cool. Like the way that he talks about his staff and the actors and everyone that's involved in the process, the way he talks about the show with such passion and the audiences, I just, I was like, I mean, as most of these things after we hear from people and they've come to the festival, I'm like, I just really like you. Yeah. And it makes me love your show 10 times more just because I see how much effort and care you're putting into every piece of this show. Yeah. And I think one of the, the cool things about long running shows like this, when you have this like pop cultural institution is you can find those places as a showrunner to bring in new people and train them up and give them chances to write and take an episode like Lockdown and and run with that script in a way that if you're a brand new show and you're just trying to like stay on the tracks and like make sure you don't get canceled, like a show like this has has different, you know, abilities to like grow people up as new writers and stuff like that. So So yeah, so this is a really fun conversation. It is one of our micro panels, so it is short, but I feel like 35 years, we could do 35 hours of just talking about The Simpsons. Yeah. Maybe someday we will. So with that, here is showrunner POV, The Simpsons with Matt Selman, moderated by Trevor Scott. Thank you so much. My name is Trevor Scott. I'm with CBS Austin's We Are Austin. And I was just in this room for a beautiful conversation. I think this uh, room has great vibes. It's good juju. So this is a fun time. Uh, Please uh, react. Have a lot of fun. I'm kind of flattered and deeply honored to be sitting here today to introduce to you the showrunner for The Simpsons, America's longest running sitcom and, and, and Matt Selman, everybody. Come on over. Hello, hello, hello. One more time, everybody. Hi. <laughs> um, so th- there are so much to talk about. This is a micro session show, so it's rather short. My job is to really kind of just guide the conversation and, and shut up for the most part. But um, there, one of the things about the ATX TV Festival we were talking about in the green room is that fans here, uh, you're here because you love television and you're deeply interested in like how the sausage is made, what goes into making your favorite television shows. And I think The Simpsons is such a perfect example of that. Matt, that's a great place uh-huh. to start, right? I mean, sure. how's the show made? You've been with the show since 1998? 1997? 1997. Good grief. Uh, that is a long time with this show, and it has seen a lot of changes. Um, I kind of want to start there. Let's sure. let's chat first about, about The Simpsons. What is it like helming, being at the, the, the wheel of this show, which is a juggernaut? It's influenced us in so many ways. It's a phenomenon. You know, it's, it is a phenomenon. And, and I was saying to Trevor, you know, in the 
in the green room, like sometimes I say to people, like, well, I work on The Simpsons, they go, oh, I didn't know that show was still on. And I was like, oh, oh dear. Um, but I hope it is still on. <laughs> and we're, we're, you know, we're, we're still working hard at it. You know, like, it's, it's, it is surreal to me that I get to work in any capacity over this thing that lot of, is so beloved to me and I hope beloved to you. And it was the thing that made me want to think that comedy writing could be a really fun, smart, weird, goofy career. I didn't think I would ever get to work on the show. Um, I just thought, oh, maybe if I'm lucky, I'll get to work on a bad show. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I then somehow through crazy karma, no, not karma. No, that, it was, if it was karma, bad things would have happened to me. If karma was real, bad things would have happened to me. Um, I don't know, through craziness. <laughs> you know, I'm sort of in, in charge of the whole shebang right now. And uh, it's such a, it's, you can't, you're like, holy cow, we can't screw this up. You know, you, you just can't do episodes that are just episodes. I'm sure you've all seen Simpsons episodes that maybe you think, oh, that was just an okay episode. But to us, to us, like, we just want each show to have, be really unique, visually unique in terms of the emotion, unique in terms of the satire, unique in terms of, like, the visual elements and the, you know, we really try to cram in I'm really bad at remembering what questions were. and just No, this is a conversation. Like, Don't worry about that. <laughs> you know, so like, that's like our mission statement for every episode to like not waste this amazing creative opportunity where like really the only person people, we don't get network notes. We don't get anything other than we have to make Matt Groening and Jim Brooks happy with, <laughs> with the story. And they're like, it doesn't always happen. But uh you know that it's a, it's an amazing, super privilege, and just we've really been trying lately hard, really been trying hard lately to to just be super creative in our storytelling and really do weirder stuff, smaller stuff, more personal stuff, but also more format breaking stuff. And I don't know I think there's I think the I think there's a little bit of a you know upswing. I feel there's an upswing. People aren't, I don't want people to take it for granted. Yeah. And uh, kind of going through this process, for, first of all, it is said that the Simpsons episodes can tell the future. It says you are like yes, the, the sure. prophecy. Take us through the process of making of how, an episode. How we make the predictions. Yeah. And, how, how and, we, and where is that well, we've got uh, this called oracle you've got? In the, the, the key is the right number of ingredients <laughs> in the cauldron. Uh, you know, um, it's. It is a laborious process. I think I have a spreadsheet in my computer, in my office that I can't go to anymore. That is, uh, they're like the ninety-nine steps of making a Simpsons episode, from like a little smidge of an idea, like you know, what if we did a show about lockdown, but it wasn't COVID; it was something else that was the lockdown. But we could do emotional, satirical comedy about what lockdown psychologically did to everyone, which is a good area for a show like The Simpsons to tackle, but maybe not with the kind of death and sadness of COVID, um, to, you know, that episode being on TV and doing some, like, live tweets about it and doing, there's a, 
There's, should I go through the 99 steps? No. I mean, I kind of think people, I mean, maybe you could like, uh, the Cliffs notes it to like 60, but, okay. but I do think people want to know how does sure. the episode start and progress? So, well, this, okay, that episode that just randomly popped into my head, this we did somewhat recently. So a writer really wanted to do a show about lockdown because he thought he had good emotional stuff there. And so, but we didn't, we only thought, well, what's less awful than COVID most things? So we, we all remember from kids being kids of these horrible gypsy moth caterpillar infestations would <laughs> would come to town and and like just just take cover all the trees and they were so gross and it was so horrible so and we all know with sort of the environment getting super wacky these days that like you know in environmental catastrophes are are everywhere so what if it was a super caterpillar infestation was the reason for the lockdown okay that's like a funny idea it's visual we all have these kind of kid memories of the caterpillars, but then the most important thing is like, what are the what are the stories you're telling? And one of the writers had this thing where her kid like wouldn't eat any food unless it was dipped in ranch dressing. <laughs> <laughs> and so we thought that is a beautiful small little nugget for Maggie that she won't eat anything unless it's dipped in ranch. And if then you're in the lockdown and you ran out of ranch, your baby won't eat. You're gonna do crazy stuff. Which to me, that's like great storytelling because it starts super small, super relatable. We've all f felt that worry that your kid's not eating and realizing that like you would do anything just to get them to for this small victory of eating their peas or whatever. And then we all know that lockdown made people the worst, they're the, the worst versions of themselves at times, maybe good versions of themselves too. So that we just, that was one, that, that, that can be a story that they have to, ask Flanders for the ranch, but he remembers all the times Homer's been an asshole to him, so he won't won't give him the ranch. And so Marge goes crazy and, like, locked down crazy, but you guys all have feelings about that. And uh, she, so they, they break into Flanders' house, and there's sort of a ranch battle. And then, you know, Lisa was more in the, like, we all can relate to sort of doom-scrolling and looking at horrible things that are happening and oh god the world is going to end the world is going to end and so lisa sort of went crazy <laughs> sort of went full-on crazy and imagined herself in a world where she had entered the world of malibu stacy toys and literally became a <laughs> a super anxious doll kid <laughs> and you know i think we all so had that again it starts with a place of emotional relatability and went to a visual surreal place of literally entering another psychic universe where you're just interacting with Malibu Stacy dolls who were just talking about how the world is going to end all day. And then Bart had us, again, we're just pitching it out in the room with the writers. Like we, you know, like if it's not good, don't do it. And the, you know, the short version is that Bart was, was you know, stuck with online learning and it was so terrible and he wasn't getting anything out of it. And, but then his principal, Principal Skinner, left the Zoom on for the whole time. And so the kids were just watching him and mocking him at first, but then saw how this really sad thing happened in Skinner's lockdown. And they realized they had to save their principal, who they hate, using the, the most power, the most useless thing in the world, which is online learning. <laughs> so, you know, that, those were like all like, that, that's like a lot of work of pitching and discussing and, and, you know, all talking about your experiences in COVID and but putting it in the world of the Simpsons and trying to fit all those stories together. So that's like a lot of work just to break those out and 
the writer of that show, Brian Kelly, is a great writer, and he really you know spearheaded that. And I was dubious at first because I thought it was oh, COVID's such a bummer, but he really, with other writers, you know, found those human stories taken to a visual, emotional, surreal, absurdist point that I think the show does well. That like. You know, after like, you know, two weeks of solid work on the story and with a small group of writers, then just, you know, procedurally, Brian Will wrote a script. Then the room you know, rewrote the script many times together. The writers, this is something we do that's actually a good thing for you if any of you are like aspiring writers and stuff, which is we just, perf the writers perform the scripts ourselves. We do call it a room read. We, so we don't want that. You know, you've, you've rewritten it a thousand times. You're sick of it. How do you see it with like fresh eyes, right? How do you see it more clearly? So you just we just perform it ourselves, and we give the all the parts to the characters to our to ourselves. We're not actors or anything. Although we have some of the writers are really funny, and some of them are funnily terrible, like me. <laughs> and you know that that's like so that's like an important step for us in terms of just what's the pace of this? Is it clear? Is it are you feeling it? Is it too long? Is it too short? Like, is the right balance? Cutting between three stories is harder than just doing one story. So that balance is tricky, you know? So, th you know, that's where, like, an in-room read is, like, a it's a helpful thing. And it's also just fun and boisterous and than just staring at computer screens, right? right? We all hate staring at computer screens. <laughs> so then, you know, we do a polish after that, and then we have a table read, and that's... I've probably pitched the story, like, in its tiny nugget form to like Matt and Jim, but like the fun of the job, I don't know. You guys know who Jim Brooks is, right? He created Mary Tyler Moore and taxi and terms of endearment and all these movies and broadcast news. And like, you know, he's like the big cheese on the show. And so is Matt Groening, of course. And, but the idea of like putting on a little radio play for Jim Brooks is like really fun. <laughs> I mean, obviously you could be, you're a little nervous. He's going to hate it, but you know, we know Jim really well and we write, He's like the master of sort of twisted, dark, but real, painful human emotionality. So we really try to keep that in mind all the time. Like, how can we want to make sure that the emotions of this are like rock solid, but not too sentimental, not sappy. Like we want it to be Simpsons. We want it to be a little twisted. We want it to be painful. We want it to be dark, you know, but not super dark like South Park or Rick and Morty, where you just kind of watch a couple episodes and want to kill yourself <laughs> great great writing on those shows though i mean just, just wa only watch one at a time and don't binge those yeah yeah don't binge that's like you go to a bad place really fast binge the simpsons i don't don't i don't know i'm on strike but you can binge it you can binge it it's okay just pirate it i don't know i don't know what the ethics of the current ethics are a little muddy yeah. i'm just saying if there wasn't <laughs> you know the, the the strike is about maintaining the system of television that has created the television that you guys all like. So like if you're going to try to chop away at the structure of writers and producers making shows together as a collaborative team, which is, that's what we're trying to protect here. You know, it's really trying to protect the way television has been made that has really worked well and created like a golden age of television. And it's just super important to keep, to put protections in place that we didn't think we ever needed, but now they're really, I guess we need them to like have writer's rooms, to have producers on the set. Like they're just so essential or the, the shows are just going to seem like, you know, thin, cheap ass garbage. 
which, you know, I don't think you guys want that. Oh, no, come on. I did not say that for clapping. But um, You're going to anyway, get clapping. It's- that's enough. So anyway, the the... So we do the table read with with the actors, which is all remote now. So it's not as fun as going into a room and maybe I think when this strike is over, we will go back to in live table reads, which will be great. And um, uh, and that's sort of the, that's like the first half of the job is the getting to the getting to that table read. And the second, then Jim gives us notes. We do those notes, and then it just like six months, eight months of just animation. Mm. Which is a, which is a different animal than writing. Right. I mean, you're thinking about the animation when you're writing, but then you're you're seeing designs, you're seeing rough black and white versions of the story. You maybe have seen these things online, these animatics. You know, they you you rewrite those again and again and again, and think about them visually again and again and again, just to make sure that they're as good as possible. And it's just it's just we had a we had a journalist come into the room. That, for an article in New York magazine and we were doing like this animation rewrite and he couldn't believe how slow and laborious and joyless it was to like just go through every shot and think like, is this shot the shot we want? Is this selling it? Is this funny? Is this, is is the acting on the character's face, the right acting is the timing, right? Like we're an old show and we, we can, we can afford to take our time, you know? So, um, it's just like a shit ton of work. <laughs> but, you know, by the time it airs, you know, we're, we've really crafted every element of it, right. you know, from like nose to tail. And it's, you know, it's, it's pretty exciting to see it on TV still after all these thousands of years. Yeah, I imagine that really never gets old. And in addition to really having a, a brilliant writer's room and leadership, you have uh, a cast that is, right. I mean, it's iconic. Um, yeah. These characters are icons of television and you have a tremendously talented cast. Can you talk about what does your, all of that work and those, what those 62 steps look like once they get into the hands of your amazing cast? Does it take a different form? Does it go somewhere from there? Well, the cast is so good. Like they say we're, when we go direct to the actors, we're not directing the actors. We're watching the actors. Like they know the characters so well. And, you know, we don't do a lot of ad-libbing or improving like Bob's Burgers' terrific show. They like really go crazy in the, in the record and then they edit, edit, edit. And that's a, that's a whole other rewrite they do is based on the kind of what happens in the record. Our guys pretty much stick to the script. You know, Dan Castellanet is actually a writer on the show and he works in the room one day a week, sometimes more. And, you know, he's so funny and some of the best moments in recent years have come from Dan, you know, being there and participating. And, you know, these actors, a lot of actors are not grateful for their, for their, for their uh, careers or their their jobs, they're resentful. Not ours. They're like they're like the sweetest, and they just they've all embraced the, the amazing opportunity to kind of portray these globally, generationally, yes. massively influential people. Although I guess around the globe, other actors do the voices, but which okay. is crazy to me right, to think about. Crazy it, yeah, too. yeah, but um, oh, that's another like. That's a whole other panel. Whole other panel. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a good panel. I'd love to see a panel of like French Homer and you know Br- Br- Brazil Marge. That'd be a. I would. That's much more. That's more exciting than me for sure. Yeah, not since. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with all that. Yeah. <laughs> 
but they are so in there are, yeah. are so important to yeah. the storytelling. They are, and but like as writers, you know they're gonna do great. So it's like you don't have to worry like oh that they're not gonna make it funny. With most most writer producers, do you have to sometimes worry that their actors might not make it funny, or they have to write around their actors' weaknesses or stuff like that? Like we, that's never something that really occurs to us. Sometimes it's like we know if we write, you know, Lisa. You know, like Yardley, I mean, I can't say enough good things about Yardley Smith, who does Lisa. I mean, you know, she is, in a way, like, so much the heart of the show. I mean, they're, I guess in all four of the flame members are the heart of the show in one respect. But, like, you know, Lisa, like, we've been writing Lisa a little less like the kind of 35-year-old super graduate student, you know, <laughs> perfect super genius, and a little more just like an anxious kid. Because everyone here who has kids has anxious kids, and like um, you know, we all. So like as writers, it was it's more fun to write Lisa as someone who's like going through the things our kids are going through more than just like I know best. This I've read everything. I can quote anything. You know, like I'm a I'm like a superhero of you know adult intelligence. You know, yeah. which of those episodes are great too. And sometimes she can do that, but like you know, you can give her a lot of yeah. emotionality that I think is like one of the things a lot of our fans most connect to. Mm -hmm. Although sometimes they just like to see Homer have diarrhea, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. Who wouldn't want yeah, to see who, that? Yeah, who doesn't want that? You know, uh, I was telling you in the green room, when I was 11, I had a Bart Simpson skateboard. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't ride it. I just wanted it. And I think I just like put it in my room and propped it on, on the wall. And I'm not a particularly young man. So it's it's fascinating to me that it, it is such a part of all of our lives, generation, generationally, you said. Mm -hmm. And I know that in order to keep it fresh, um, changes have to happen. You're speaking of Lisa's character. But what hasn't changed about The Simpsons? What is something that when you're in the writer's room, when you're putting episodes together, that you, the essence that you always protect? It's a great question. I mean, to me, it's just the characters. Like, I get a little guff online about me being dismissive of the notion of canon, I don't know if you guys love canon or obsessed with canon or if something violates canon, you get really angry about it and post or whatever. But our show is pretty, maybe you've noticed, it's pretty goofy, pretty flexible. Um, you know, the characters have not aged, but they've, <laughs> they've been on TV for 35 years. So something has to give, right? Yeah. So I don't, I not that I'm, I am, I don't believe that our mission statement is to establish a one- logical thing that could have happened to this one family. Mm. But what is, so we can, you know, but we try not to contradict ourselves, but we also try to find clever ways to tell stories in different time periods that may not hook up with other time periods, but what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. But then you just can't change the, you can't change who the characters are. You know, that's just the most important thing. Although I did just say, just say we changed Lisa, but like, um, <laughs> you know, I think she's still Lisa. She's right, still yeah. Lisa. I I feel like that's the essence of Lee. One of the iconic episodes of the show, right, from, like, when we were just fans was, like, you know, Moaning Lisa, where she was just sad and depressed. And, like, what about a story where just a little kid is depressed? Like, that was very groundbreaking at the time, like, in the way television was so formulaic back then. And, like, that wasn't about, you know, I feel like this is the continuation of that as the modern world has torn our kids' brains to shreds. 
<laughs> it's fascinating to me to think about. That's a great way to put it because, you know, you've got generations of people watching the story and are influenced by the characters. I was telling your wife in the green room that uh, my, my husband's a super fan. Anytime we see any kind of like competition out in the world, it could be the Olympics. It could be a race carter. <laughs> we say, go banana. Go Does banana. Anybody... Sure. <laughs> go banana. And it like it's weekly in our lives and it doesn't even attach to the Simpsons anymore. But it really is. What does it feel like to you to know that there are fans out there that that's part of their lexicon? And also part B to that question, do you interface with the fans in, in, in a way that allows you to understand how they're ingesting this? Well, like we have so many generations of fans. I always sort of use the metaphor of like the Simpsons is like a super highway and most people have been on the highway at some point or they've gotten off the highway or they got back on the highway or their kids are on the highway and they get on the highway. Like no one is – not that many people are on the highway for the whole highway <laughs> – <laughs> All 35 exits, five minutes. And, but, you know, what was the question? <laughs> like, that, like. Yeah, well, do you interface with them? Is, yeah, is there mean, a pressure there? You say you'd begin. I sort of more like put out statements that anger people. And then, <laughs> but, but it's all like, I love, if anyone, if, if people love to hate the show, I, you know, that, that, that's a reaction, you know, like people will write long, you know, thousand word essays of why episodes are terrible. I'm like, well, it's better than apathy, I guess. True. You know, or better than just turning it off. Right, right. You know, like people say, cancel the show. I'm like, you guys can cancel the Simpsons anytime you want. Just don't watch it. Right. <laughs> right. The show canceled for you. It doesn't matter for you. I know that's, but like, I think, you know, our fan base is so in big and weird and old and young Dynamic. and global and, everywhere it's almost hard to get a sense of them you know where like some shows have just this very intense one fan base like this show supernatural i don't know if you are all maybe you guys are wish you were at a supernatural convention right now but like um you know they, that, that that supernatural has like 10 supernatural conventions a year where all the fans go to and they can sustain it like there's no simpsons convention that i think we would do well but the, yeah. it doesn't exist like there's it doesn't exist <laughs> Maybe we should do it. Uh, yeah, we, perhaps it was born right at ATX TV right. Festival. I mean, Season 12, that happened. You heard it here. Tweet that out and we'll make it happen. I it mean, can get, get some traction. As the as the person who is in, in charge of this show, you're, you're running it. Sure. Um, you love it. And love it. you have definitely made a great case here that every episode is very, very, very special to you all. Are there episodes to you in this long, long uh, stretch that stand out <laughs> that make you particularly proud of the work that you're doing? You know, I just, there, there are tons. There was only this season, I hope you guys would watch if you haven't seen it. It's called Lisa the Boy Scout. Have any of you seen that one? It's it's very surreal and it kind of embraces all the crazy, weird, cannon bursting nutsiness of the show. And mm. I, I sort of don't want to ruin it for you, but just if you're going to watch one on Disney Plus or, 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 or pirate it, if that's the, the way to do it now, um, uh, you know, uh, just watch Lisa the Boy Scout because we really have fun with the legacy of the show in a surprising way. And, you know, it's a very non-traditional format bursting episode. Um, I'll give you a hint. It's not really about Lisa trying to join the Boy Scouts. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's just like that one was really fun and really got a response from people who were maybe had checked out from the show a little bit. And they, I think they checked back in and said, well, these guys are really having – and girls and everyone are having fun mm. – and you know, being playful and silly, and and making and not taking ourselves too seriously, and you know, but taking advantage of the fact that we have this bizarro thirty-five-year-old superhighway of 
Just tons of Simpsons shit. Yeah. <laughs> Over 700 episodes? 750. We just did 750 was our Lizzo Incredible. episode. Lizzo 750th episode. I feel like that deserves a round of applause. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, just to, to wrap us up today. Sure, wrap I mean, it up. They, they have, you know, this room is full of, this festival is full of people who do have aspirations and, yeah. and are wanting to be in the industry in a variety of ways. Um, what advice do you have? That's a broad question, but what's a secret of success for you that you feel like other people could capture? Well, you know, the economics of the industry are in a state of turmoil, that's for sure. But so I can't speak to like money success. I can only say that like, just the, the joy of collaboration to me is the is the, the best part of the job and if you can find people in your world that you like collaborating with and feel that joy you know maybe a career good thing can come out of that maybe it doesn't but like you they can't take back the fun mm. of collaboration so like again the 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 the, the, the career element is seems very scary right. <laughs> but the 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 fun element is has never been more fun, and the ability of people to make things there on their own that maybe no one will ever see. But the fun of we did a show called The Book Job, another episode that I love, which I would recommend to watch. That was maybe twelve years ago. The theme of that show is if it's, it's fun to make something with your friends, even if it's bad, <laughs> you know, even if it's kind of crappy. But then to, to, to see it come together, so just I would say it's fun to pursue that joy. And if you can find people you enjoy collaborating with, you know, take that joy where you can find it. I think that is terrific advice. Everybody. We just had a conversation with Matt Selman. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Sweaty microphone hands. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. One more time, Matt Selman, everybody. So that there, they can hear you. Thank you for joining us. All right. You have been listening to the TV campfire podcast. Hosted by ATX TV co-founders Emily Gibson and Caitlin McFarland and produced by Jennifer Morgan. This conversation was recorded live at ATX TV Festival Season 12 in Austin, Texas between June 1st and 4th, 2023. For more information on the festival and becoming an ATX TV member, follow us at ATX Festival or visit atxfestival.com.